And three, two, one. Oh, that was a good shot. Yeah, there we go. Welcome to the Odd Pearl Podcast Abroad Edition here on this uh, beautiful Good Friday, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm here live from Pearl Lane, though uh, I am the only one. Had some posers who thought they could do a podcast that skipped out on me. (laughs) I'm I'm carrying the torch of my own, dude. Let's go ahead and give some introductions. Turner, what are you up to right now? I am up to some golfing. The Irish Creek in Kannapolis, and first time I've played golf in a couple months, so I'm very excited and probably gonna be a little rough out there today. In the rough, a lot too, but <laughs> it'll be we a good time. Open, We tried to open the podcast with an acoustic sound of you hitting a ball, and actually, I think you also made a comment on it being a good shot. So I did hit. I did hit a good shot. For that one, I think. The rest of them have been pretty bad. All right, I'm going to hit one real quick. Sam, where are you at right now, man? Back home. Went home for the um, quick Easter break and the generous mental health day they gave us before final exams start, and we have no time to do anything. So I'm enjoying this. And like you said, this is a broad edition. So this should this should be very interesting as everybody is in – a different space how this works yeah man like i was saying maybe we record the uh the video and put it on a odd pearl podcast youtube channel maybe you know, diversify our portfolio. right about to say divorce diversify etc etc that's all good stuff go. where are you dude um let me if we're gonna put it on the youtube channel let me switch the uh camera setup but i am currently chilling um in the bed, Del Corbin Morley. Uh, <laughs> the bed, Del Corbin Morley. I'm vibing. I woke up two hours ago. Is that what that have, means? Del? Which, uh, which like, is that? Is that Spanish? Yeah, like bed of Corbin Morley. Um, I Corbin's bed. Oh, I have been half asleep for the last two hours trying to do a homework assignment. I was due later tonight and have been failing so far. So, this is a good break where I can hang out with the dudes and talk sports. So I'm, I'm excited, man. Well, look, we have a lot to talk to. We got to get to it, especially since we don't want to let this go too long. Um, so we're coming off of one of the craziest weeks, I would say, last week in the history, modern history of UNC basketball. Because no matter which way you look at it, the game with Duke is one of the most important games in UNC's history. Then you have right after that the championship game on Hubert Davis's first season. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. What are what are what are the reactions? I want to start with the um, the Duke game. I mean, first of all, I want to hear where did you guys watch that? What were you, what were your what was your immediate reaction? Who were you with? Et cetera, et cetera. Um. So I know I actually saw Cor- Corbin. I think I did see it at the Duke game. I know Corbin was at the Dean Dome too. The school kind of like had this whole endorsement, like watch party where all the students, and I think the general public too, got to go on that Saturday. So that would have made that April 2nd. So everybody got to go on that Saturday and go watch in the Dean Dome and, and experience it there. They had like a, a big projector at one end 
And then on every electronic board where they would normally show stats and stuff, they showed the game up there too. So it's kind of like a whole surround uh, sound type of ordeal. And it was really, really great. Um, the students and the public get the freedom to sit wherever. I remember me and my friends, we sat kind of lower and close to the stairs so that we had an easy like entry point onto the court. Like should we have won the game, which we did. And then they gave us the opportunity to storm. So we got to take pictures on there, but um, yeah, so that's where, that's where I watched it. And I mean, truly, and even I would say, even in the Kansas game, when we went to go do it again, even though we lost uh, to be able to experience that type of atmosphere. And like you said, Isaac, before, when you were introducing this topic, you know, the big buildup and the implications of having a first year coach take a team that far uh, generates enough excitement already. And even though I'd maybe, I think I'd been to the Dean Dome one other time before for a normal regular season game, a watch party of that magnitude surpassed my experience of actually seeing the players play in person. Wow. Just, just because of that, you know, the type of game that that was. So yeah, that that's where I was. And Corbin, I, I remember seeing you there. It was brief, but I think it was at like half or either at the end. I saw you there too. No, it was wild in there. The atmosphere was electric. It's probably the loudest I've ever heard the Dean Dome and, you know, I was at the NC State game when we went over 100, um, and it was almost a sold house, and it was louder than that. Like, it was just – it was amazing. It's definitely going to be a, a highlight that I feel like I'm going to take away from my four years. And, and like, the, the run up to Franklin, too, absolutely miserable. I thought I was going to die. But, like, <laughs> just being able to make it up and then storm Franklin with, like, like 35,000 people, apparently. Like, that's awesome. That's just such an amazing experience. And, like – and, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have it. And, like – even the national championship game on Monday, like, even though we didn't, you know, come away with, you know, the result we wanted, like still to be in the Dean Dome for that and experience that and the atmosphere and the love that like UNC has for like basketball is awesome. Yeah. Man, you finally got that like home experience we were hoping for when we played them in the Dean Dome and got destroyed. Um, and it really was, I mean, yeah, like everything in social media and in terms of even like apps like the ESPN app are so catered towards the person and their favorites. So I don't know if I got the perfect idea of like how much the nation was talking about this game. But every time I pulled up my ESPN app, it felt like there was another clip from another show. They've like, if you cover basketball all week long, you're talking about the UNC Duke game, man. And I think people are right to say it's one of the biggest matchups in the history of college basketball. I mean, it's already every year. If you're ranking before the year starts, the top five biggest games to look out for two of the top five have to be the Duke UNC game every year. It doesn't matter whether you're ranked or not. And so then for them to meet for the first time ever in coach case last season in the final four in new Orleans, by the way, which is just a crazy backdrop for that game to happen in. I mean, what a cool city. The fact that UNC has that win, I mean, I just don't know if, if anything will ever top. I don't see how you could top that unless you met in a championship game. Mm-hmm. And even then, you have the argument of, well, you don't have the best coach of all time, arguably Coach K, coaching for you in that game. And they, they had him in the, in the, in, in the, the semifinals and the Final Four with an incredible team, all first-round draft picks starting, basically, on the floor. Um, they get to go out like that. I mean, how I don't know what else. Could, what else could you want as a UNC fan? It's almost as important. In fact, that's my the next question. Where does it compare to a national championship? That win. I mean, well, quite literally, it is as close tournament wise, tournament round wise, that you can get to one. 
But I think as far as this, as far as what we accept this to be, this probably was our national championship, like considering we weren't actually able to go complete that uh, in the next round. Because I feel like, um, you know, if it was going to be, of course, with these two teams, if they were going to be on the same side of the bracket in typical UNC Duke fashion, if you're going to match up at all for the first time, why not have it be in the final four? And I think with how... Like, I like, you know, okay, I guess like how the game went, because I wouldn't say it was by any means a blowout. But toward the end of that game, the series of daggers from Caleb Love, I just think like from then on forward, especially since this Duke program, I'm sure the name alone will bring in, you know, a sufficient amount of recruits yearly. They'll always be in the mix. But I think um, especially with that being the last year that Coach K is ever going to coach a program. I think it's at a point where for us UNC fans, we know that there is no greater there's no greater win in the history of the series. And there's also, we're immune to, as far as criticism goes, I think we're immune to any, anything that a Duke fan or anyone from that fan base can ever try to criticize us or come at us for, because we can always have that. We'll always have that over there. So I think as far as that goes, that, that was our championship. The I, Kansas, the Kansas game probably would have just, uh, would have just been the icing uh, on the cake. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, like, having that experience, beating Coach K twice in, a, in his last home game and in his last tournament game ever, and that last tournament game happened to be in the Final Four, like, that's something we're going to carry over Duke for the rest of our lives. And I think that's just – it's amazing we got to experience that. I still don't think it it carried the same level as a national championship win simply because – Yes, you get that win against Duke, and that's amazing. But a national championship is a national championship. That's what you aspire to. That's what you hope to get in the end. And we didn't get that. So, I mean, I feel like that the, the players are missing – like, definitely feel like they missed out. And I feel like that's part of the reason that, you know, we have this um, this re-aspired confidence to, like, come back and do it next year. It's like, I was like, all right, we got this far. We beat Duke, but we weren't able to finish. Let's finish this time. Um but regardless, I mean, that's going to go down as the greatest Final Four win in UNC history by far. And probably the greatest fi- Final Four game ever just because of the weight it carried. I mean, it it had the same publicity as the National Championship game. The tickets were more expensive than the National Championship game. Like, it was the most, like, mm-hmm. like looked forward to game in the entire tournament over the National Championship game. So while it may not bring the hardware, in terms of everything else, it did um, compare and honestly surpass you know, that big cultural sports stage. And I'm just so glad I got to experience it. No doubt. I don't want to stray too far away from this point, though, before we do move on, because I know, Turner, you actually had the opportunity to go to New Orleans in person because you had a student ticket. So I was kind of curious. I do have an inclination to want to hear that about that experience because I know that really the only thing that beats that Dean watch party is actually being there in person. So me that whole Saturday day um, will will be a day I'll never forget and it will go down as one of the best days of my life. Um, it was like a euphoric experience being there for that game. And New Orleans was the perfect place for it all to go down. There could not be a better location for the Final Four for like a Carolina Duke matchup than New Orleans. It just is able to actually somehow match that crazy chaotic energy that that matchup mm. brings. And um, 
so yeah, I was in the student ticket. So it was on the floor, like behind the basket. And so we had the band and I didn't really know any other people in the student section. And like, we became best friends during the course of that game with all the ups and downs. And whenever we would make a huge shot, Duke would, would match it. And it was just, it was one of the coolest, coolest things ever. And like, I think, yeah, it's not, there's not going to be a banner for it. Like there will be no banner in the Dean Dome about that win, but like in terms of it's like emotional impact on Carolina fans, I don't know if there'll ever be a game that was like as sweet of a win as that one. It was just so perfect and so wonderful and exciting. I mean, there, I've never been around, I wasn't in Chapel Hill for a national championship, but I've been like with Carolina fans and I've grown up a Carolina fan. So I've like celebrated with other Carolina fans for a lot of really good wins. And I've never seen like all of the like Carolina family coming together. Like after the game, um, the best part was kind of celebrating afterwards, of course, after they hit a one shot. And then everyone wanted to linger. None of the Carolina fans wanted to leave. So we all just like stayed in and celebrated for like 20 minutes after the game, just cheering. And when we finally exited the court, all the students went up um, into like the concourse and the hallways of the stadium. And all of the alumni were also out there. And we just like, it was like a mosh pit. All of the alumni and students like hugging, like I was hugging all of the, all these grandmas were like coming up and hugging all the students and like celebrating. And it was just like, it didn't matter how old you were, where you were from, if you were a student, not a student, like we were all just celebrating and so, so excited and um, just sharing the Carolina love. So it was, it was one of the coolest experiences. I've never felt like such a part of UNC and the like Carolina family as I did that night. And I don't think I ever would because um, it was just so special. And I actually got home yesterday. I just saw my parents for the first time since. And my parents were both like alumni and they were like, we, we just, they wanted to hear everything about it too. And they said like, you know, Turner, like, I don't think if it'll, it'll it might never be better than that. They're like, that might be the best win like of your life. As a Carolina fan, and I was like, you know, like it really might be, and like that's okay. It was that great. It was that sweet. So it was really special. That's fantastic. Um, that's awesome that we have you on to to share that. Uh, we really we really uh, need to move on to at least the national championship game, but also we got to say, class act by Coach K. I thought his reception of his own players after the fact, um, his press conferences. Um, his wife being by his side the whole time, I really have a ton of respect for that guy. Um, and, you know, I, it, it is weird because obviously it's great to be Duke, but uh, it was sad, I think, to see the Duke reaction. I'm not, like, unempathetic to the situation they were in, but I know they wanted it really bad. It made it an incredible game. And, uh, yeah, Corbin, to your point, like, it really the, – the, 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 I read a lot about journalists and analysts being mad – that Duke or like disappointed that Duke didn't win that game because it made the championship game to their eye and their eyes less compelling. 
so that like that actually like made it the most the, the biggest most like anticipated game of the whole tournament and ended up being the the final final four game and not the championship game um and in terms of the in terms of the way we went out I mean, we have to address that. What what are you, what's y'all's assessment of, of the the last, the second half of the UNC Kansas championship game? I don't know. I I spend every day, I mean at least it's it's gotten better, but I remember the first couple of days after that Monday, I spent every day waking up like hoping there was a reset button option somewhere. Because for us to be able to go, especially since I was in the Dean Dome twice in like three days, you know, it's like it's almost like what Turner said, especially Carolina fans, with in my experience, it's so easy to quickly befriend like you know, you know people who who have like when you befriend people and then you become part of that family. It's like like you would with your other family. It's like you guys, but the emotions are shared in whatever mm-hmm. they, in whatever you experience. So it's like it was the sheer joy and intense happiness of winning on the Saturday is just replaced by you know like almost like a silent morning like on that Monday. Um, because you just don't, like, we just didn't know, I didn't know how to react. And I know that, especially, you know, talking about that second half collapse, being up 38 to 22 at one point in the first half, never, I mean, I was never, was never going to doubt a Kansas team that averaged like 40, you know, they were a great second half team for the duration of that entire tournament. Um, You know, that, that's just, that's just who they were. And, you know, interesting I mean, interestingly enough, we're honestly, I mean, we, we're a pretty solid second half team too. So I, I, I do remember thinking to myself when we were up 15, I, I, I knew that the game wasn't over. But at the same time, my hope was, well, if Kansas is going to explode in the second half, which I almost expected them to, and they did, at least if we play to our second half identity, two teams having great halves will cancel out and then we'll still win because we had a significantly better first half. But the problem, it, it just kind of quickly snowballed once Kansas had those 10 consecutive fast break points, because that's also playing to another strength of Kansas is, is you know, their ability to run out and in the open floor after they were able to force a turnover, force that shot. Um, so I think that's ultimately what it came down to. It came down to pacing and shot selection. And on top of that, the visible pain that Caleb Love was in clearly was a half definer too. And that was the most frustrating of injuries to witness because it was clearly non-contact. There was nobody near him. It was just a freak incident with the floor. You know, he's trying to come to a stop on his own on a transition and he just rolls his ankle. So it's like, you could notice, even though he didn't excuse himself out of that game, which, you know, you wouldn't expect in possibly his final collegiate game, he's not going to sit out. Um, you know, he tried to play on it, but it's like, that just wasn't the same Caleb Love we were accustomed to watching. And, mm-hmm. you know, a 40 foot three every now and then is great. But when you don't get that from Caleb when he's hurt, it's like, you know, the rest of your offense is going to suffer. Not to mention, apparently Remy Martin is a descendant of Michael Jordan because we couldn't cover him mm-hmm. in any instance in that second half. I think he went perfect, especially from he three. Was incredible. Yeah. I mean, that hurt us. Those- Corner threes were just unbelievable. Like, yeah, I don't, it, it was hard to believe and it didn't even look natural. His jump shot looks like it hurts. So it's like, and on top of that, it's like for once, like we actually have decent corner closeouts and he's still knocking it down. It's like nothing hurts more than getting a hard earned bucket on one end. You know, somebody's like Puff does an insane reverse layup or something that he did in the second half. I'm like, wow, like, you know, I never Wait, seen you act like this before type of shit. Yeah. yeah. And then they just come down and erase that bucket, something that we work so hard for, when they get a corner three that he pushes up. 
So I'm just like, okay. And that's with their best player, Ochai Abaji, only having 12 points for the game. And we still lost. So, um, and really, I think Baycott did a solid job against McCormick, too. So it was really, it was the effort from Remy Martin in the second half and the transition buckets for Kansas um, and our inability to make shots and arguably questionable shot selection that led to that loss. And that, that hurt like a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot. So, yeah, that'll be a tough one to get over. It's going to take a minute. Yeah. Man, well, I thought you, you said that really well. And, I, and we do have to move on. I do want to say, I think what sums up the whole experience was seeing Hubert Davis and the team get back to campus when they arrived um, and they got to the Dean Dome and they had the acceptance, right, where, where, where they hand the, mic, the microphone to, to Hubert Davis. And he, he begins by saying, I'm sorry we couldn't. And then he trails off because he's emotional. And the whole crowd, I think really notably, I mean, there's so many people there. The throng of people all immediately in unison said the word no. Like, he started to apologize, and it wasn't like people cheered and clapped. Everyone said no, and then cheered and clapped, which to me says something really significant about the fan base, that we really are happy with how far we've gone. And, the, you know, the, the final impression of something, the final thing that happens whenever you have any experience will leave the biggest impression. But a bad taste in the mouth doesn't take away from the, the truth of the incredible season that UNC's had. Um, and, and, you know, transitioning into the final point we have about UNC, the, the future. You look at who they're bringing back. We, I mean, I know that we've had Baycott's committed to coming back. Um, and Leakey also is committed to coming back, which is humongous. Of course, RJ is already going to be back. Um, I mean, the, the question mark, of course, is with Caleb Love. Man Manic, of course, being gone. What do you guys think? Well, how does our team shape out next year? And will Caleb Love come back? Yeah, so I, I was just looking up some stuff about Curran Walton because actually before we started this podcast talking with um, Turner about it, Turner said that Curran might come back. And I think the big thing about losing Baycott – or not Baycott, losing a Manic um, and the possibility of losing Caleb Love is – obviously I really hope that we bring back Caleb Love, but I think we're going to have a bench next year. I think the guys that didn't get as much play time this year are going to work so hard. And I think that's um, Hubert's – goal that's his coaching mission it's like it's unsustainable to run a five six man a six man seven man rotation for an entire year it worked out this year because we gelled so much in the second half of the year but you can be so much better if you have an eight to ten man rotation and you have guys that are confidence coming off the bench so it allows your your five man starting quarter rest and to come into like the late like you know parts of the game like with energy still that's huge and um yeah i think that that's going to happen i think you know I think something that's going to be different from last year to this year is obviously missing Manic he brought such a humongous you know outside role for us I mean finished the year with the highest three-point percentage in the entire ACC um, ended up being our best three-point shooter throughout the entire year like just you know his shot was beautiful he spaced the floor well was a great backdoor cutter as well so he could really he could get to the paint really easily um, easier than people would expect and his Defense, I, I do just want to um, address this real fast. His defense in the Final Four game and the championship game were amazing. Like, he played really good defense when he had been struggling with defense all year. So, you know, to have that, too, like, we're going to miss that. But I think we're going to have a bench that's going to come and respond. And 
Mm. So we might not be replacing him with one individual player, but we're going to place him because Puff's going to get a lot more play time and he's going to develop. Um, Dontrez Styles with his freak athleticism, he's going to develop and do better. I think uh, DeMarco Dunn is going to develop and he's going to get more play time off the bench. And so like those three guys are already here. They're going to be getting a lot more time. And then of course you have um, Seth Trimble who's coming in as a guard. Uh, and he looks like he has a lot of promise. You have, um, oh my gosh, Jalen Washington, who mm-hmm. if he gets healthy, dude, he could be nasty as a guy that's coming in as like a third big man. So you have like, so he'd be like our second or third, second big man, first or second big man off the bench. He'd be amazing. He'd be great. Like we, I, I, I don't know. I think I, I have a lot of hope for next year. I think we're going to be deeper and we're, we're apparently dabbling in the uh, transfer portal too. Trying to hopefully see if, um, you know, four more guy transfers um, or if Caleb leaves, try to go and get a big time guard or, you know, if Caleb stays probably a big time, big man um, to come in and just solidify our team. But yeah, I, th- I, I like the way our rotation is looking. I like the way it's developing and I have a lot of hope. Yeah, I do have a question mark with uh, McCoy, Justin McCoy. I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know if he fits. I'm, I'm sad for him because I think that he, he came on, you know, transferred, what, from Virginia, right? Um, yep. And hasn't had much play time. Uh, you know, especially if Kerwin ends up finding a way to fit into the team, which is all – I think he always has a chance to do well um, and, and to fit in somewhere. You just – the question of scholarships becomes an issue. So we'll have to see. I think, I think the biggest question mark is going to be at the four, obviously, with Manic on. Mm. And – like, Puff showed that he can kind of play that role really well. He's just going to have to put on some weight this summer and work on, like, getting out of staying out of foul trouble because mm-hmm. that was kind of, like, a big thing for him this year. You get a lot of quick early fouls, especially against, like, really physical guys he's guarding. Like, when he guarded Bancaro against Duke, like, he got called for a lot of, like, heavy little, like, touch fouls and bump fouls that, like, with more experience and maturity, you're not really making those mistakes as much if you want to call them mistakes. Sometimes, you know, you can't really blame Puff for it with the refs. But um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing because especially if Love comes back, like we're going to actually have depth at guard this year. We're going to have, like, I would expect that DeMarco Dunn could could fill in some guard minutes next year with a little more experience. And Seth Trimble is going to be, like, legit, like – he is an he's super quick and a really good finisher and will like I don't know he he reminds me of like a, like he has like a Russell Westbrook style play almost I feel like yeah so we'll see hopefully with a jumper but um yeah I, I think like because of that manic question mark like I wouldn't say we're the like resounding favorite like going into next year but I would say like we're you can't argue that we're a top five team, but we have coming back. I don't think, and we're like certainly a contender for the national championship. I think the best thing we can hope for is that history repeats itself. Like it's like it's a 2016, 2017 type of transition. You have you have your core that comes back. You get support from either the transfer portal or talent from the incoming class, and then on top of all that, you just have to execute. So I, I think the desire is there to want to win, or else. You know, the guys that have already committed to a return wouldn't have committed, especially Leaky, who's exercising 
technically a, a fifth year. He gets his COVID year. So, you know, people who age-wise are well past the college stage of basketball and, uh, you know, Armando Baycott certainly could have, could you know, it, in the eyes of NBA teams, I'm sure certainly already viewed as serviceable. So if he, if he truly wanted to, he could have left. Um, but I think the inclination to want to return is indicative of just how far this team can go. And I just hope that it is a repeat of the 2016-2017 transition um, and we come up with a, with a national championship at the end. Um, uh, I, I think it'll be a great – we're certainly having a more, uh, greater advantage than most college teams because our foundation is, is, is um, the same as it was. At this rate, it's looking like it's going to be similar to how it was – uh, last year, you got a coach that has already has a great relationship with his players, the majority of which are coming back, and we're only going to add and get better. So that that's the hope is that we come away with something, bring some hardware next year. Agreed. Um, man, well, we're running out of time here. Uh, lastly, I just want to hear with our last five minutes or so, I want to go through, go around the horn and talk about predictions for the NBA playoffs, uh, which are just around the corner. So we've got some play-in games, of course, um, to go through as well. Um, also, but, um, I, I can stay on longer if we, if we don't want to be confined to the 2.30 thing. Like, I could totally um, – While you're on the course, how, well, give us yeah. an update, Turner. That's <laughs> our break of the day. This, today's episode is sponsored by Turner Zambecki – golf instruction course you can get the best instruction in the triangle master area class. master class from turner shambecki turner what 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 swing tips have gotten you to the heights that you have reached today swing tips? i don't know i like swing tips because everyone should have different different things that work for them but to be honest i tried to think as little as possible and i literally think just like and I try to like think of just being loose, like loose with my arms, loose with my body. Because when I get tense, I start to chunk it a lot. Think, stay loose and just making contact with the ball, facing up with the ball. And I try not to think too much out here. I also, I think this is a little unusual. I like, I'm right handed and I like heavily focus on like mainly using my right arm and my mm-hmm. swing. Because if I try to like focus on my left arm or both arms, it's it's too much for me, and I get very very uh, out of sync. So yeah, that's a, that's all I got. <laughs> well, I, I, we can we can kind of skip over the um, the play ins. I think it's the Hawks versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, from what I've read, it seems like we can say the Hawks have the best chance of that um, to get to sneak in at that eight spot. And then you also have Pelicans versus Clippers. That, um, to me, I mean, the Clippers, yeah. I think, handily have that. Really? They um, don't have Paul George tonight. Dude, I, the, the Pelicans, I think I think the Pelicans should tank them. I think they, it looks to me almost like they've been trying to lose some of the games they've won down the stretch. Like, I wonder if the reason they've held out Zion Williamson is because they're waiting around for a draft pick. If they're going to use him, they want him at full health and they want a little bit more young talent in their roster. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not something going on in the back offices there. That's my conspiracy man, theory. Man, that's fair. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, because the Pelicans, I think that trade for C.J. McCollum is appearing more fruitful than people are willing to give it credit for. Because I'm mm-hmm. not sure if this has ever happened where a team has started 3-18 and 18 like the Pelicans did and went on to even, you know, have an opportunity to put themselves in a playoff contention. 
I don't know why, selfishly, I want them to win this game. And then with the core of Brandon Ingram and uh, CJ McCollum, you know, you bring Zion back. Because, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen some of his warm-up dunks. Yeah, yeah. He's clearly ready to play. I've never seen somebody consistently throw down 360 dunks and turn around and say they're out indefinitely. It's Dude, just not adding it's, up. It's something is, I really think that it seems to me like the Pelicans are trying to preserve him for next season and they want a draft pick. I mean, like, I'd be, I'd be shocked if they, if they made it into the playoffs. But, I mean, it, it, it could happen. I just think with Paul George, and that was so unexpected because then the Clippers really have a similar outlook too. It's like Kawhi really is on the precipice of being available again. So it's like if they made it, do you bring Kawhi back? Because obviously the Clippers are not your typical eight seed. Like a Suns-Clippers first-round matchup with fully healthy rosters is like a Western Conference Finals preview in, mm-hmm. in, other, in other seasons. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be – I don't know. I think either way we have the potential to see something crazy. Uh, I just know that there was like a relative of Zion's. Like I don't know if it's his uncle or son. It's like a week or two back. He said he expects Zion to play this season. So if the Pelicans do win, and they guarantee themselves at least four more games in their season. I think that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah. I, I would have to go Pelicans just because the Clippers don't have PG. But I don't know. They went so long without him this year and got themselves this far. So who knows? Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, agree. that's the one to watch. I agree. I think I, – I don't really agree with you at all, Isaac. I think the Pelicans, like – I think they're thinking we we need to show – Zion that we can get some pieces around him for him to stay and that McCollum trade was really really good like they've been letting McCollum play at point guard which he never had the opportunity to play for the trailblazers obviously with Dame like you know Dame's better point guard but CJ his natural position like in college and in the NBA now is like kind of like a point guard role like a score first point guard and since they kind of made that move, like, they've been playing really well. Like, I I think that with Zion back, dude, they could make some – like, they could be a pretty solid team, like a decent seed next year in the playoffs. So, Great. I, think I, the tell- I, I like them too tonight. I think the telltale sign is if they get to the playoffs, if, if, they, if Zion starts playing – I mean, well, that, that just enters a whole other discussion because you're also like, well, does that throw off? I mean, he hasn't been playing with them for so long. Does that throw off the chemistry, you know? Um, but if they let Zion play mm-hmm. in the playoffs, I would agree that it looks like the real deal. I mean, there, you, that would be a very interesting development. That's how I feel about Kawhi, too, though. Like, if Kawhi came back, he still hasn't played in a really long time. So I kind of feel like they're in the same position where like both teams could be a lot better next year, but you know, whoever makes it, they don't really have a chance against the Suns. Unless, unless. Go ahead. Sorry. No, he just muted himself. I guess he's taking a shot. You're good. You're good. I'm about to start. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think, I think, I think the best way to go about this kind of like what Turner was saying earlier I'll, I'll list a series out. We'll try to make this kind of quick, but at least if there's anything worth, you know, discussion worthy, we'll definitely take a minute. But I'll go down each each game that's been decided, like every decided matchup, and everybody just give their predictions. And if there's a majority discourse, then we'll talk about it. But if we're all like unanimous agreement, I think especially our viewers and listeners, you know, that there's not much discussion to be had with that in like an 8-1 or maybe some 7-2s. Right. So this first one, 
is Boston and Brooklyn. Remember, Brooklyn just punched their, their, their seven-seed spot with their win mm-hmm. against Cleveland on Tuesday. This one's interesting to me because I remember a podcast episode a couple ones back, maybe like the third one. We said our Dark Horse Finals contending teams. We went around the table. And I remember mine was the Nets. Uh, <laughs> and I said that the Nets can The Nets, especially whenever Ben Simmons decides an appearance I said all of those pieces coming together I think the Nets are potentially a very dangerous team and definitely not deserving of the seven seed label based on talent curious who you guys have winning that series I got the Brooklyn I love Nets it. I love all it. day baby I think I really think I really think the Brooklyn Nets right now with the sh- some shifting they've had in their roster right I, to me they are a very motivated team and I think I mean psh- I think Kevin Durant in the playoffs. I mean, to me, even though yes, with the with the with the Thunder, right? Um, he never won it with that with that great roster he had with Westbrook and Harden. I think Katie in the playoffs has looked incredible. And the thing is, I mean, they were one in what is it like half an inch away from from winning that game yeah, seven against just the Bucks, and, foot, dude. and that was an incredible. Shot. He had. Taking over that game already. People don't remember. I mean, that I, I got the Brooklyn Nets Love in this it. series. Agree. What about you two, Corbin Turner? I have got Boston Celtics in seven. Oh, oh in seven. Yeah, I, think, I, got, I got the Nets in seven. The and in six, seven. Celtics in six or seven. Uh, people are they're playing so they're playing so good right now, and I I, I think For the Nets. Nets beat the Cavs um, in that playing game by eight, and the Cavs were like ridiculously injured. So, I, I, I sometimes when the yes, you have Kyrie and uh, Kyrie and KD, but when they're like averaging half of your points, or so in some cases two thirds of your points, if one of those guys has just a slightly off day and the Celtics are able to lock up the rest of your team, I don't think two guys alone can carry a team to victory. And the Celtics have been playing so well together, so I have Celtics. That's fair. I don't think there's any better of a storybook ending in the first round if it went to seven because it'd be an extra game of Kyrie getting booed in the garden. I think that definitely would be the storyline to watch with that. And I know it's going to be incessant, bro. Every time they go to Boston, it's going to be like the Kevin Durant treatment in his first visit to OKC. Every time he touches the ball, he's probably going to get booed. So I think this series probably, in my opinion, is the most appealing and intriguing one. Um, Turner, who do you have winning this one? Um, I because Robert Williams is out, I think I have the Nets in seven. <clears throat> Three one. Um, I think like Tatum has been so good lately that I really think like in terms of the main two stars, like Durant and Tatum will really like kind of balance each other out more than uh, than they don't. But I think uh, Jalen Brown is actually like the X factor for this series. And I just don't really think he's going to be able to hang with, with like Kyrie production wise. And with all the shooters, the Nets have two. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because the addition of Ben Simmons and possibly like game four or five, I think they're talking, that could really change the series too, like for better or for worse, since he has never played with these guys ever. So it's just really hard to say, but just like on sheer talent, I think I'm going to go Nets just because Kyrie has been incredible and Kevin Durant is just, you know, one of the best players in the world. 
Love that's that. that's a good call. And, and rumor has it Jalen Brown may be headed to the Grizz next season. So watch out there for you it. go. But I've heard the, the bias sources have been telling the, me. the bias makes an appearance at least once an episode. Nah, dude, that's what my source my sources are credible. Yeah, well, Jaylen I guess Brown. that's a that's a perfect that's a perfect that's a perfect segue then. Okay. To, to the right. West, to the to their matchup, because because you guys, the Grizzlies, you play the Timberwolves, and I don't think this series is going to be as smooth sledding as the seedings would imply. I know you're going to mm-hmm. say Memphis, but why? I, you know, that's a good question, and I actually am with you on that. I do not think this will be smooth sailing at all. I think Patrick Beverly will cause some problems. Um, I think that, if, honestly, if you put him the way Desmond Bain has been shooting, if you can find a way to keep Beverly on Bain in a lot of that game, I actually think you want John Morant taking a ton of shots. I know that sounds crazy, but Morant, I mean, the record when he's in the game versus when he's out is something that you look at and you have to say, look, Morant's gotten – he had to improve his distribution as a point guard to continue to do well. On top of that, man, like when, whenever he's taking 30 or 40 shots a game, yeah, he'll score, drop 40 or 45 points. But, like, at what cost? Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm worried about when Cat down low. Steven Adams, I think he doesn't get in foul trouble, is a decent defender. But I'd say this is this is I'd say Grizz in six. Um, but it'll I think that some of those games will be close and it'll give Grizzlies fans a good scare. Yeah, I I agree. I don't really see a version of this where Memphis wins. Although this this series is if you know if you were going to give a theme to this one, I think this probably has the largest concentration of young league talent. Um, yeah, because you know Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and Carl Anthony Towns is one of the youngest core trios in basketball. And then obviously the the really peculiar twenty and four record without John Moran is a testament to the Grizzlies' solid young talent too. And then obviously when you add somebody as electrifying as Ja, we're due for about one or two almost posters from him because that's what I always see. You always see where he almost attempts to end someone's life. So I'm sure Cat and any or anyone who stands in the paint, no one's going to be safe. But I think I, I think there's an equal likelihood that we see a fifty point game from Ant or Ja. I don't think the series goes beyond six, but Minnesota win or lose is going to have a lot of positives to take away from this for sure. Remember how they celebrated after their, their <laughs> playing win, dude. That was insane. That was insane. I think the morning after – I think the morning after Beverly was on one of those, like, NBA talk shows getting interviewed, and he was just dressed. I'm, I'm looking at the way this dude is dressed in, like, a, in a, in a rich-looking robe. I'm like, dude, it's a play-in game. If they Literally. win – I'm like, dude, this is the play-in game. If there's ever a version or a universe where Memphis wins the championship, I would love to know how Beverly would carry himself then. That's what I'm thinking, dude, is, like, I would have been a lot more scared if it hadn't been the way they reacted to that. Like, <laughs> that was crazy. Anyway, all right, we really got to keep moving on here. What do we have next? What's the next series? All right, so, so Golden – oh, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to give a little update. So, uh, on the first screen, my sister outdrove me. <laughs> Both had good drives. I hit by like 220 each year. It was like 225, like right past me. And we're both on the green in two now. So pretty on good. On par four. Let's go. On par four. And um, can we see your shot? Where are you looking at? So this is where I uh, – how do I flip the camera? Oh, there we go. So my drive was from up there, and I, I hit it right here. My sister was like right there. My dad, he's on his – Third and that's the third. Yeah. 
Very interesting, That's dude. Awesome. This is good. This is good. Ex- these yeah, are some good awesome. updates right here. I want to see. I want to see a putt. I want to see a live putt. <laughs> your sister the cam. Okay, if, if your sister wants to be the uh, or dad wants to be the guest, just uh, there you go. The Super convenient. Guest day. Oh yeah. I, I didn't even. I just told him like I'm on like a Zoom call. They don't even know what's going on. So um, I have to pull them in. Sammy, what's what's next on the? On yeah, the yeah, only a handful left really that are noteworthy. I would say this Warriors one is certainly worth discussion because they play the Nuggets and the potential MVP of this season, Jokic. Um, curious and uh, your thoughts on this one because Curry Curry's expected to play. The series starts on Saturday. You know he's expected to play, but the nature of Curry's injury is something that's been it's been a recurring one. So with those foot injuries with him, even if he's supposedly healthy enough to play. You know, you don't want to disqualify him potentially missing time. And in that case, do the Warriors have what it takes to beat the Nuggets without Steph? Curious your thoughts on that. I could see. Course, what do you think? I could see Denver winning this series. Um, they've been playing so good recently. So, so good. And Jokic is like, I mean, who knows who's going to win MVP now? Because we thought a couple weeks ago that Embiid had it in the bag. And then they got the James Harden curse. And now, yeah, Jokic is carrying Denver right now. So I could see Denver winning the series in like six or seven. And the Warriors just kind of crash and burning. Or I could see it the other way. But um, I don't know. I'm Looking at Steph Curry's injury and the way Denver has played down the stretch and how the Warriors have struggled, I, I have uh, Denver winning the series in an upset. Mm. Okay. The floor is open to everyone else. What opinions do we have? I don't know, man. I, I don't really have an opinion on that one. I just I feel like I, I'd have a I've a hard time seeing the 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 Golden State Warriors drop this one. Um, in fact, I, I man, it's it is a toss up. They haven't played as well as they have in years years past. I mean, what are they in this? Are they the they're the the three they're seed? The three, they so, they yeah. barely beat out the the Mavs three seed um but to me the nuggets throughout the regular season yes they're appealing when you look at their roster i don't think the nuggets have done enough to make me think they could pull off an upset yeah this season i I don't know it's tough especially when two of your youngest guys you haven't had their services the whole year because jamal murray's still recovering from his aco michael porter jr goodness gracious i i I have no answers for you at this point in terms of what's going on with him seems like it's Mm. something with his back every year and they just signed him to that lucrative max in the offseason prior to this season so probably some if they could do it over nuggets front office is probably sitting a little sour at that but yeah i mean i i don't i mean i'm going to assume that steph plays and with the way that steph plays it's not like he needs two feet. He really just needs his two arms so he can launch from 50 feet. So, and Clay Thompson is, is starting to get his legs back from under him. The gravity of his injury, I'm, I think it's, it's amazing. Um, Andrew Wiggins was a first-time All-Star this year. He gives them great services on both ends of the floor. Obviously, having Draymond Green back as your point forward is, is crazy as well. I just think it's too much for defensively for Denver. I just don't like the way they match up with this Golden State team. And I think Jokic is going to have to do too much. And in, in having all that responsibility, if he has a big, if he has a good game, they might still lose. But if he has a bad game, they certainly won't win. Mm. 
So I, I have the Warriors in five to six games. I'd say, I'd say it goes to six max, but realistically five. I'm with you on that. I think I think it's I think it's Warriors in five. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> running down toward the end here, really two more: the Mavericks and the Jazz is the, is one of the final two that I wanted to cover. That's um, the spiciest one in the West, boys. I think that's. I mean, uh, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that one. Yeah, they cool. just what are you feeling about that one. They just announced breaking news. I got this update like 20 minutes ago. Doncic is out for tomorrow's game. And it's highly possible he's out for game two. No way. I I had the Mavs, but now that um, Doncic is out, dude, that's like, yeah. Who who's Matt? Who are the Mavs gonna? He's the leader of their small ball. Like they've been playing so well because he leads that small ball team, and he's able to their small ball style of play. He's like the crux. He's the center of that. Without that dude, oh man, like. What are you gonna do? I, I mean, I'm the Jazz. I'm sure are like, you know, celebrating with like freaking wine and stuff right now, man. They're happy. Like, <laughs> like let they, me tell you what. As a Jazz fan, I I think we're still gonna lose. We might even lose the first two games. Last year, the, the Jazz were the biggest freaking head case team of all time. Okay, we were talking earlier about our most angry sports moments. Well, mine was last year against the Clippers when freaking Reggie Jackson is dropping and Terrence Manners combined for like 80 points and sitting my jazz home because they're just so inconsistent. You can never trust them. So I think the Mavericks will win at least one of the games with Luke out, and I think they're going to take care because the Jazz are a disaster. Man, I did not know that about you. I did not know you were a jazz fan. I feel like the Jazz fans are so few and far between in this area if they exist at all. That's interesting. I did not know that about you. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think I think Mavericks fans are definitely probably for different reasons, maybe just, just as upset as you because the game that Luca got hurt in was their final regular season game, where you could make the argument that he had no business being out there on the floor, and I think that's it. I don't know if the I don't know if that that responsibility fell on Mark Cuban. Maybe there was a discourse with him and Jason Kidd and Jason Kidd said, no, let's rest him. And Mark Cuban said, no, I want to sell tickets. I don't know if it was that type of discussion. Either way, I always get concerned with injuries in the calf region because that's how Kevin Durant's Achilles started out was the pressure in that calf region first. He had no business dancing in the tunnel prior to that game. So I know that didn't help. But with Lucas, like you have to really be cautious with that so that it doesn't evolve into something where you maybe lose him beyond just th- these playoffs. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to say the least. I think the Jazz are struggling. The Jazz didn't have the greatest finish to the regular season. And the relationship between your two stars, Gobert and Mitchell, is not – everything's not really copacetic right now. Things are kind of on edge. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like the Jazz would beat themselves. And that's the way that the Mavericks would overcome Luka's absence. Um, that one should be close. I, I still do maybe have the – I do have the Mavs winning this one. I think, I think the Jazz, the, the turmoil within their organization right now is, is – I just don't think they fix it in time. And if, especially if Luka winds up coming back later in the series, they're done for. Dude, and look, I mean, yeah, the Mavs will be at home for those first two games. Uh, and, and you think about the Jazz's home uh, – like the way in which the Jazz has looked, looked at home, their home crowd, it, it's not the most energetic play and not the most energetic crowd. 
Speaking of which, here's our guest for the week right here. Hey, Luke, get over here, man. We're talking Mavs versus Jazz. Yeah, we need you on the podcast. Give you two quick two cents. Yeah, it's a local Texan right here. Luke Mayer, my roommate. Got some inside sources. Yeah, Luke, tell us about the, the Jazz versus the Mavs. What do you think here? Come get in the camera. What's going on, fellas? Hey, man. <laughs> uh, honestly, dude, if Luke is not playing, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a struggle, dude. I think Rudy Gobert is gonna cause a lot of problems uh, inside. I don't think we've got a lot of options, a lot of a lot of stuff to throw at him. Uh, if Brunson can play good, though, man, that's gonna be that's gonna be key because Brunson played really bad um, against the Clippers last uh, postseason. But, what, uh, what do you what? So who are you gonna say? Give us the number of games. It goes well, to, dude, it just so much depends because they're not really saying what's going on with Luca right now. So, like, it, Jake, it just came out 20 minutes ago. He's probably out for game one and might be out for game okay, two. Okay, right. I knew at least that much. But if we can split at home, honestly, dude, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Luca comes back, but Jazz in seven. I don't, I don't Ooh, that is a that's spicy a, take that's right a hot there. take from the locals, dude. That's what I got for you, man. Beautiful. <laughs> Luke Mayer, everybody. The local Texan. It's a great take. Some, uh, I don't know. Some Alamo pride, you could say. <laughs> he, um, but pick, picks against his team. It's going to be heartbreaking, man. Dallas sports, man. That's what it is. So I mean. Oh, gosh. Well, look, I'm going to say I'm going to say that the Jazz, uh, just because of how sucky their home atmosphere. Dude, I remember when they played the Grizzlies. By the way, Donovan Mitchell scares me. I think he's a great player. Um, like, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. When they played the Grizzlies, dude, the, the loudest that crowd was was when Dylan Brooks was touching the ball and when they were booing him. Like, that was louder than any cheer they emitted from any score because it's just a bunch – they were just, like – they were just mad at Dylan Brooks, and that hatred fueled their crowd noise. I, I don't see the, the – I don't see much home court advantage for them. So, I think even if Dallas drops one at home, they'll be able to make it up when Luka comes back. So, I would say – I want to say Mavs in seven. Okay. I think that I think that my uh my game uh prediction like I, I'm gonna take uh Mavs in six and um and then the Jazz will blow up the whole team. Uh, from a Jazz fan, ladies and gentlemen, has his own squad losing in six. Yeah, there's no hope. Bingo. There's no hope. I think I'm gonna bring it to four zero. I've got Mavs in seven. So wow. According to Corbin, the first round is going to last for a month. There's a lot of games that are going to a game seven. It'll definitely be interesting <laughs> if it plays out that way. <laughs> I, think that, I, th- I think that series has potential to go to seven. No, I will agree with you on that one. Man, so let's not even give much time to the Bucks versus Bulls. I mean, we all oh, have – That's a sweet that, – that, yeah, five if they're lucky. Five if DeRozan drops 60. But other yeah. than that, I mean, the, I mean, like, dude, the, the Bulls' poor record against top teams this year—it's—it's it's ridiculous. And I think the funniest part was when DeRozan was getting interviewed about their lack of success for the end of the season. He likened it to like a high school experience where you're taking honors courses in your first couple of years and you're doing really well and you're thinking this whole high school thing is great. Then you take AP courses in your final two years and everything go like it gets bad real quick. To paraphrase what he was saying. So I'm like that. That really that does typify the Bulls' season. It's like, and I know they don't have Lonzo Ball, and they probably won't for this series. In fact, they're expecting to be out for the rest of the year. I, I understand his defensive impact is unparalleled, 
But having a duo of DeRozan and Levine, I still find it hard to believe that they struggled that hard at the at the end of the season. Um, I think they finished what was it like forty? Were they like forty five and thirty six or something after starting like twenty and? It, it was it was something where they were. I mean, they were the one seed in the Eastern Conference for a good period of time with people picking them to go to the finals. Um, I don't. I, this game does not go beyond five games. There's nobody on on Chicago's team that can guard Giannis. Um, Middleton, that that trio of Middleton, uh, Holiday, and Giannis in the playoffs has just proven to be so good. Um, and Holiday's defensive presence, he'll they'll probably throw him on DeRozan or Levine and take a double for the series. The Bulls are going to get wiped. Love it. All right, last one here. Let's go around the horn real quick. 76ers versus Raptors. Big T, sweet T. You on the mic or are you hitting the shot? I bet he's hitting the shot. Cool. He calls. I think he's going to putt. I think, dude, it, it all comes down to James Harden. Is he going to – are we going to get playoffs James Harden? If we get playoffs James Harden, the Raptors are winning. Like – and and they've been awful recently, the 76ers. They've been awful. Like, I, I feel so bad for Joel Embiid, man. He's put his heart and soul into that team, and they get absolutely crapped on. So, I don't know. Uh, that That's a toss-up for me. I think it depends on if the 76ers are able to play together. But if they can't, I think Raptors are taking it. How many games? Raptors in seven? <laughs> I'm not going to say that again. Um, no, I think Raptors so, in seven. Uh, hey, I just chipped to uh, a foot. This is where I chipped on my – I'll show you guys where it is. You looking at a par here? We're looking at a par. Oh, okay. It's not a foot. It's uh, like it's like four feet. So I'm probably going to miss it actually. But Wait, wait what did you finish the uh, last hole? A bogey. My sister Birdie, she chipped in for Birdie. No way, dude. I wish I was going to go. How'd your dad do? He had a double. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, I'll just quickly add on that Sixers series before we tune back into Turner's Masters tournament. Uh, I, I think if the Sixers lose this, there would be no greater disappointment in recent years for a Sixers team that's been that successful in the regular season, um, especially when Joel Embiid has put together a portfolio that is MVP worthy. And I think he even won the scoring. I, I think it was like a 31. He averaged just under 31 points. It's the first time a big man won the scoring title since Shaquille O'Neal. So history written all over the Sixers season. But there are a couple question marks. And I share one with, with Corbin because I do think that James Harden's playoff performance. I mean, he's 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 never he, he in my opinion, he's always underachieved because he's been on teams that have been so successful offensively in the regular season. But his play style has been what's doomed his previous teams. I remember there was an interview a little while back where Kobe Bryant, who really is the preeminent opinion on all things one-on-one, was saying that James Harden's play style was just not conducive to winning a championship. Um and at least with Kobe, although, you know, in, in, in similar vein to James Harden, they're both known to maybe take 20 seconds off the shot clock, putting up mm-hmm. a shot. 
not only does Kobe make more shots, but Kobe also gives you things intangibles and he gives you defense. And especially on the playoff stage, both of those things are vital. Harden doesn't do either of those things proficiently, in my opinion. So I think Embiid will shoulder and Harden hasn't even been shooting well as of late either. Um, so that that's a huge question mark. Uh, you just have to hope that mentally Harden is there. And then the second thing is, with the vaccine mandate rules in Toronto, the Sixers may not have Matisse Tybal, who were one of their defensive cornerstones. So if he's not available for the majority of the games and the Raptors take advantage of that, um, you couple that with uh, an inefficient game or two from James Harden and the Sixers could be in some Dutch. Um, in this series, I want Philly to win this fan. Uh, so, in my bias, I'd say Sixers and six. If it goes to six or seven in favor of Toronto, that wouldn't surprise me either. Mm. Gosh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I have, yeah, I have trouble. I have trouble picking it, picking it to Sixers too. I'm going to say Sixers and six. I like Raptors and seven maybe six um because um, you heard it here first the raptors have about four players who can guard james harden at least um Ananobi, scotty barnes and like those guys can both lock down james harden um james harden's gonna go four for 17 tomorrow uh maybe four for 16 if we're being generous and uh, I, I think the Raptors are just – they're so good defensively. They have, like, like just a multitude – oh, I forgot Siakam. Siakam can go lock down Harden, too. Man. They've got the size, length, speed to stay with him and give him hell. And he's not going to get a bunch of easy foul calls in the playoffs, a bunch of touch foul calls like he does in the regular season. So um, I, I like the Raptors because, like, they're going to let him be get his and he's going to have a great series because he's a great player but you're not going to get enough from their other, from their guards. And with Matisse Thibel out um, at least two games or maybe three games in Toronto as well, that's a big series swinger um, because, like, you just got to think about, you know, every, every piece, every player matters so much in the playoffs. And um, that's just another guy that they don't have that can guard uh, Toronto's great wings. Turner, can we end with a putt? Can we end with a shot of the putt? Yeah, comment, um, unique, unique comment. I want to say so, but there are people behind us. They might get pissed off. We're like, the... all right. Well, just give us a commentary of the putt here. Okay. This is for par. I'm. I'm it's about uh, six feet, and it's short. Yep, I left it short by about a foot. And that's a bogey. Bogey number two. <laughs> Which, uh, you know what? We can roll with bogeys. I have no problem with bogeys. Bogeys off is, that's like 80. So, you know what? If I'm in the 80s, it's a great day. I was like, I don't think the Zoom is doing the closing music justice, but we will have to end there on Turner's commentary. Wish him luck the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Lots of Keep it easy. <laughs>